The Havrusa, featuring Rabbi Avraham Kibalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch, directed by Jeff Osias. From Chicago, this is the Chavrusa. I'm Rabbi Avram Kivalevich. And I'm Rabbi Kalman Warch. Tonight we want to discuss a social phenomena that is as old, perhaps, as human history. The Torah tells us, Vayosem Hashem Lekayin Os, that God gave to Cain a sign. The Medrash interprets this to mean that he gave him a dog. And this, according to our rabbis, was the beginning of the connection between human beings and animals. The animal world existed, but here is where they were bound together. Yes, tonight we want to discuss the phenomenon of pets in Jewish society. Of course, when we talk about pets, there's always going to be two angles at which to view the idea of having a pet. We um, want to separate ourselves from the whole issue of seeing eye dogs, dogs that are used by farmers to keep their cows together, and, of course, cats that are being used to catch mice. These animals, which are there for a specific use, obviously they're necessary and are needed. But what we want to talk about are pets that are being kept as um, family friends, as um, companions of sorts. Actually, Kalman, you were interesting that you didn't mention guard dogs because guard dogs are sort of like this vague area in halacha, whether it's allowed. Uh, we know that there's actually Gemarot in, in Baba Kama, and it's codified in the Rambam and in Shulchan Aruch, that even if you're keeping a dog to watch your possessions, but a dog that is a barker, a dog that uh, scares women and children, is not allowed to have. You're not allowed to have such an animal. So Again, it's questionable whether in our society... Dogs that are being kept as guards are actually guard dogs. I think um, tying a fierce dog to your tree is not really a guard dog. It's just, it's more of a status. I mean, it's not, no one's going to rob your house or not rob your house because you've got your dog there. Common, I know you don't have much experience as a housebreaker, as I don't. But I think most criminals would be quite afraid to approach any house that had a barking dog or the ringing of the doorbell causes this dog to bark so excitedly. Uh, and as far as a status symbol, uh, obviously you haven't traveled much uh, in the sticks or around Appalachia where every single home has a guard dog uh, tied to it. Uh, even here, closer in the Midwest, walking in these backyards, when the dogs explode against any person that walks by, I can of see where there are exceptions, but um, most of the dogs in the city itself scare the milkman and the mailman and... Um, have no not much other use. Because I, the, the house think, is unlikely to get robbed anyway, and the fact that there's a dog there is not really I, there to protect you. I don't know, you should check the, uh, check the police blotter of your local paper. I think you'll see that uh, robberies are rampant. And on the other hand, though, as much as I can understand that, uh, still, having the dogs around are also a danger to women and children. And I understand what the rabbis are saying. I think you have to examine the source as well and see uh, what your needs are. I agree with you, Kalman. The dog, the best thing a person should do in terms of guarding his home is probably have a good security system uh, wired directly to the police. However, uh, I think we should, you're right, get back to the idea of pets. Uh, I think we should get back to the idea of pets. Rabbi Menachem Slay, in an article that's part of a very good book, I don't know if it's been translated into English yet, it's called Chayoso Oretz. It's all about dealing with the animal world. He has a very nice section about dealing with pets, and he mentions a point that I hadn't seen before, and that is that before a person 
obtains a pet, he has to realize that having a pet in a city environment might be a problem of being a good citizen, of a haftarecha kamocha. He mentions specifically not only the barking and the noise that the dogs do, but also the the cleanliness factor, the fact that many city streets are laden with the filth that these animals produce. Well, I, I don't know about the filth as being the biggest problem. I think there are laws to take care of that, and, and you know the curb your dog signs that uh, most people do adhere to. Uh, but I do think uh, keeping pets do cause some other issues. I'd, I'd like to talk about some of them. Um, I think one issue that can be brought up is the expense that that them people go through in order to have a pet. I mean, we, we know besides the buying the dog, there's sometimes health issues that cause people to um, spend a large amount of money. There's the food and the upkeep and all other kinds of things that people spend on um, having pets. Um, I would like to present that as the first problem. I think another issue that there is is the waste of time. I think it, there is so much time that is taken away from doing other positive things that is being used instead on playing with the animal and taking care of the animal and, and taking the animal on its walks, which can sometimes um, last a while. And I think the third, which is probably the most important problem, is the... Um, I would say funneling of some of the positive emotion that people have towards other people and instead giving it to your animals. I think a lot of um, love that parents should be giving towards their children is sometimes being given towards the pets. I think a lot of friendship that kids should be having with each other is instead given to the pets. I, I think these three problems are probably the biggest um, issues that should be addressed before one... Um, and decides to get a pet. Well, Kalman, you're right. On the last point that you made, that there sometimes is displaced emotion that probably could be better served within the family or within the community. We know that some of the most famous animal lovers were also some of the most horrible people. Uh, Adolf Hitler and Al Capone come to mind. However, Kalman, I'm not going to advocate tonight that every family should have a pet. However, I think that there are a lot of positives for certain families of having a pet. Not every family functions as perfectly as you think. There are certain tensions that need to be loosened. Sometimes the bringing in of an animal is able to dissipate that. Similar to taking a walk, it sometimes loosens the tension that goes on in a home. You're saying a a pet is being kept as stress relief? I think so. I think studies have shown that people who had suffered from high blood pressure, the bringing in of an animal had actually had clear medicinal results of lowering people's blood pressure. Now, even if someone who doesn't have a diagnosed blood pressure problem, having the animal around, having something that can be seen as a source of love and loyalty without the anger and frustration that comes up between humans, I think this is something that can help certain families. Now, in terms of the time factor, yes, pets are, can be a tremendous drain on time. However, having the pet in the home can actually be 
something that you could fan out to the children. And the children could actually learn responsibility in taking care of this animal. The children, true, would have to give time up for taking care of the pet. But this can be seen as something that going together with their normal household chores. Maturity can develop among children if they have the responsibility to this animal. Again, I, I don't think that um, the animal is the best way for them to learn responsibility. There are better ways to learn responsibility. And besides, the animal is going to die. I mean, the animal usually dies on the child, and the strain that you have of trying to teach the children about death, how to deal with death, and then you start the whole cycle again by looking for another pet is probably more straining than the amount that you gain by having the pet. Common, it's all an issue of education. Children have to be introduced to their taking care of the pet, and they have to understand what it's about. I think that the fact that they have an investment in a living being that they can consider theirs gives them impetus to want to do it much more than the drudge work of cleaning the home or washing the dishes. But in terms but of, in no, term, let, me just, respond, help let me just respond to your other point about dealing with death. Having experienced this when I was growing up, a very a cat that was part of our uh, household, and as I was coming home from school one day, I saw it dead lying after being hit by a car. As traumatic as it was, I believe that it allows a child to comprehend the concept of death. And then when it becomes more real, when a family member perhaps or someone passes away, the child is able to extrapolate from his feelings of loss from the animal and and, and deal with what life has I thrown I can't agree him. with that. I don't think that we should have pets that should die in order to teach our children better about death. Kalman, I didn't say that we have them in order to have them die. You said what's going to happen when the animal dies. How is the child going to react? First of all, And the you're telling me to, it's a positive thing the parents, that the animal dies. I think it's as positive as any death could be. Parents need to educate their children. And when the animal dies, parents can use the death of the pet as a way to inspire hope. So you're saying that's another use of a pet, besides for teaching a responsibility. When it dies, you will get another lesson out of it. We have, I mean, to get lessons. Sounds... we have to get lessons from everything in life. You were using this point to say as a negative against having pets. I was saying that when this happens, if parents are smart and realize that this can be used as a positive, then this will not be a traumatic experience for the child. In terms of your third point about dehumanizing, when one sees the loyalty or love or concern that the pet, if it's a dog, has for its owner, or even in the case of a cat or some other sort of animal, um, the innocence and the beauty of its nature. I think that this is something that can allow you, after observing it, to actually come back fresher and clearer. It's sort of similar to what we were talking about before, about distilling tension. But I think that the loyalty and love of an animal that's shown to a human, I think can sometimes buoy a person and give a person uh, chizuk in order to come back and deal with things that are going on in the world. In terms of the expense issue, I can't deny that a family that is teetering 
in a difficult situation should not make that investment. And, and they can't buy an animal or take an animal from an animal shelter and then mistreat it by not taking it to the doctor when it needs it. However, as a family will sometimes spend money on a vacation or spend money on things they need in a therapeutic way, I think that when the situation calls for it, a pet might be an expense that will pay dividends in the future. Uh, Again, uh, I think all your answers encompass one idea, is that society seems to be missing some kind of um, thing to complete it, and therefore we're using pets to take that place. Basically, we're replacing what we want our children to be with pets. Um, We're spending money that we would like to spend on our children, but we're not getting everything out of it, so we spend it on our pets. No, no, we're not replacing the child with a pet. But the loyalty that we want from our children, we're looking for in our pets. No, our children will see examples of loyalty and then then be able to emulate that and go beyond. There are madrashim that say, learn from a pet what loyalty is. Speaking about being loyal... We have some sponsors. I don't know if they are pet food sponsors tonight, but we are indeed ever loyal to them, and the Chavrusa will be going weiter after these messages from them. You're listening to the Chavrusa with Rabbi Avram Kivalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch on the Torah Radio Network Internet Archive at www.torahradio.net. The Chavrusa can be heard every Monday evening on the Torah Radio Network Daily Show from 8 to 9 p.m. Central on AM 1080 WNWI Oaklawn, Chicago, 9 to 10 p.m. Eastern on AM 680-690 WNZK Dearborn Heights, Detroit. Or you can hear it live at www.torahradio.net. And now we return to the Chavrusa on the Torah Radio Network Internet Archive at www.torahradio.net. We're back. We're talking about pets. I think we've um, gone through basically some of the positives and negatives of having pets. But I think what we need to discuss is the social impact of having pets on Jewish society in sp- specific. I think we can. I think it's safe to say that it's always been portrayed negatively. Um, I think the reason for that is basically starts from the pasuk, which says that God told Adam. I'm giving you the animals for you to um, work with. They should serve you, and you should have domain over them. And I think it's always been like that. And I think having fish or birds as pets does um, keep with that because all they're doing is making your house nice. They're serving you. There isn't much to do. They don't become equal to you. I think that's really Come my on, problem here. I can't believe here. you're saying that you are against any... In- insertion of cats or dogs in the home no, but, but you enjoy I, but you enjoy fish or or birds I'm that seems saying... to be the cruelest thing a person can do talk about building up negative emotions you have a fish that you know would live and thrive in an ocean or in a huge aquarium and you're bringing it into your house again i'm not or... discussing the cruelty to, anim- to animals what i'm saying is that saying people that you're, you're who keep cats positive. and dogs are treating the cats and dogs as a member of their family, as an equal to them. And I think, therefore, um, in the Torah, which um, God, which um, they're actually considered subspecies. They're not equal to humans. They should not have the same rights as humans. And if you do give them the same rights, that's portrayed negatively. Common, I think you're not going to get an argument from me about giving about animal rights. I'm not saying that they have the rights of human beings. But, but if you're talking about people, if you're talking about fish and and birds, I think one has to consider if it's 
if there is any halachic basis to do that, I think that a bird's life is probably a very sad one, whereas a cat and a dog probably wouldn't have a life outside of a human home. But one second, we all know the story that happened a, a short while back with the animal rights act- activists sending letters to the suicide bombers who attempted to use a donkey as a suicide bomber, and they were complaining that this is against animal rights, that um, you are um, g- going against some of the international animal rights laws without worrying for a second about the fact that um, humans are being killed in the process. And I think that just shows some people's um, um, ideas of how animals are more important than humans. People who um, need to use um, or want to use, I shouldn't say need to use, animal fur for covering themselves um, are betrayed as killers or murderers. All right, Kalman, this is a fine soapbox you're standing on, and I'm not going... Uh, to act as if I agree with that side, because obviously I don't. PETA and all those other animal right nuts are what I just said. They are out of bounds. However, you did mention before that the holding of animals has been portrayed in Jewish halachic and moral literature as something negative. I'm quite aware of that. Rabbi Slay points this out in his article. The only thing I would like to say is, is that when these sfarim were written by Rabbi Yaakov Emden, and Rav Chaim Falaja, these farm were written at a time that the ownership of animals was something reserved for the idle rich. This was something that started, yes, in medieval Europe and continued into Renaissance Italy. And the people that did it were the ones who enjoyed spending their money on a special sort of dog or other sort of animal like that. And yes, it was considered a, a frill and something that was negative and, and silly. However, times have changed, and now it's become possible for anyone in the middle class to own and care for an animal. That doesn't I, mean that it's a positive thing. No, but I don't know if the postcom would react in the same way. Let me provide a halachic test case for your point. There's a Jewish law called muktza, which of course means that one cannot touch or move items that have no use for Shabbos. Shabbos is meant to elevate you, to study, uh, to become a better human being. An object which you will use to violate the Shabbos or engage in some other negative behavior with is an item which shouldn't be moved or dealt with. We know that historically and codified in halacha, the animal is considered the most chomer of muktza, the muktza that is totally off bounds. There's no use for it which would indicate that animals have no use in a positive way in a Jewish home. However, there are some forward-looking poskim today who are trying to push for the allowance of petting animals as halakhically allowed on the Shabbos today. I think that it can be traced to sources in the Rishonim that speak about an animal as having a positive impact. So I think that those sources that you're dealing with are sources from a time that is gone. The well, time today. I don't know is if different. I don't know if you could prove this point from the um, point of Mukta, because the fact is that pets today are a norm, and therefore once it's become something that has a normal use, it will therefore not be Mukta. But that but, doesn't mean that it should be that way. It doesn't mean that. A family that's discussing whether a pet would be should be something that they're going to bring into their house should use this as a proof for this. I still believe that um, 
it's portrayed as negative. The idea of bringing an animal into your house, and I, I, I don't think that muktzah will prove that animals have a higher status these what days. What I mean from muktzah is, is that if someone wants to do things according to the Torah and he starts looking at the sources and he sees, well, the animal is the worst thing in the world. It has no use. It's considered totally negative for a Jewish family. You see that it's muktzah on Shabbos and Yontif. The only thing it can be used for as, as an animal to, to be a beast of burden. It's not meant to be uh, a friend or companion or something to give you any pleasure. What I'm trying to say, Kalman, is, is that perhaps we have to re-examine Hilchos Muktza and think about allowing the touching and petting of animals because it does bring a person something that's positive and something that actually makes him happy in life. Uh, I remember, in fact, that there was a rov in the city that I was growing up with, a very uh, a rov that is world-renowned in terms of his expertise and his, in his books, and I distinctly remember him actually petting animals, indicating that on Shabbos, indicating that uh, they do have something positive. Of course, we should say that there are a whole other halacha kettle of fish about dealing with an animal on Shabbos, and then we, the Shmir Shabbos Kilchasa. A kettle of fish or a school of fish? Perhaps even a whole ocean full of fish. There are issues that have to be dealt with in terms of walking the animal and feeding the animal. But again, I'm just throwing in muktza as something that we should perhaps re examine in terms of today. Um, without beating uh, a dead horse, Kalman, on, on this point, um, I'd like also to bring up to you uh, the statement of the Rambam in Moranavuchim, where the Rambam says, describing why uh, God talks about the compassion one has to have for the mother and her eggs or her chicks, the Rambam says, the mitzvah of Shulach HaKain, the Rambam says that the feelings that that mother has when she sees her children being deprived from her are similar and tantamount to the same as a human's. Uh, I think that understanding that, as I was saying before, understanding that the feelings that this being has can make you more sensitive. And cruelty to those animals, like we were saying, is going to lead you to become a crueler person. And how would you compare this then to a a family that has a choice between um, taking a dog or adopting a child, would you therefore say that there's no difference? I mean, how could we even put them on the same scale? Common, I see that the whole program tonight, you've been harping that I'm talking about displacing people Because that's what you seem to be saying from this Rambam, who said, you said and that the emotions of animals are tantamount to the emotions of humans. What I was saying is, is that we have to treat them, although we have dominion over them, we have to realize that the responsibility we have to not be cruel to them. Tsar Balichayim Daraisa, the pain that an animal feels. Well, I agree, we definitely shouldn't do anything negative towards them, but you're also using this as an idea to bring about the idea of being positive towards them and giving them of yours, which seems to be a contradiction to the whole idea not of- talking about replacing them as people. Let me again tell all our listeners here, I'm not talking about replacing But the fact is that people do animals. do that. Do that. Um, there are people who have dogs and treat them as children. There are people who don't have children because they don't need them because they have dogs. 
There are people who um, walk their dogs at 4 o'clock in the morning. As much as a mother wakes up to feed her child in the middle of the night, they get up to walk their dogs in the freezing cold. It's 20 degrees below zero, and they're walking with their robe in there. They don't even take the time to get dressed because their dog can't wait. Common, I agree. There are excesses in animal ownership. And they have been satirized, even in a more humorous vein that you're doing here tonight. And I join you in laughing with them. But again, whenever something is done in excess, it needs to be ridiculed. Here we're talking about certain families, certain people, that having a pet would be a positive thing for them. And telling, obviously, you have to know where to draw the line. There are people that are obsessive about their cars, people that are obsessive about their sforum. There are people that take their possessions so seriously that nothing else matters except their record. Uh, by the way, I should, I should point out that... Um, if there are any listeners out there who are obsessed with their pets and would like to say so or have any other opinion um, on this matter or on any other matter, please email us at net. Now, you were saying about all other yes, kinds of you, pets that people you would, have. Before you interrupted, I was saying that people can form obsessions and attachments to anything that they own, and it can get out of hand. However... The yeah, but we're not talking the, about the collecting stamps. The different, but you could, there are people that will get so obsessed about their stamp collection that they'll kill anybody that act, even looks at it in the wrong way. Whereas with an animal, at least there's the positive thing about dealing with another being emotionally and taking care of it. Come, we're running out of time. So let me close with a medrash that Rabbi Slay brings in his article. A sheepdog saw that a snake had deposited poison into the sheep's milk that the shepherds were ready to drink. The dog began to bark in such an alarmed way that the shepherds wondered what had happened. And it barked and barked and barked, but the dog, sensing that the shepherds didn't know and understand what its purpose was, went and drank from the milk itself in order to show the devastating effects and actually sacrificed itself for the sake of the shepherds. The Medrash continues and says that as a sign of respect for that dog, they buried the dog in a special spot and set up a matseva, a monument, to honor that sort of loyalty. Now, I'm not saying that we should all have pet cemeteries and uh, have funeral services, but I think we have to recognize that these acts of loyalty and love are something that we should learn from. Well, uh, without insulting too much of your storytelling, I don't think that's the norm for animals. I think that's a very nice medrash on the ultimate positive that an animal can do, which is to give its own life for its owner. But I, I don't know if that would um, bring too much towards the practicality of the issue of having an, a pet. Kalman, I believe that Medrash indicates the stirring connection that there exists between the human and the animal world. And I think that we can't take that so lightly. I'm not ready, again, like I said, to advocate the having of pets for every family. Clearly, there are issues of allergies. There's issues of expense. There's issues of cleanliness. But when we see it, I think we have to see it in a very positive way. I can tell you that my kids are very happy, although we don't have a pet. They're very happy when they 
come across a family that does because it allows them uh, a lot of fun and a lot of understanding of animal and ultimately human nature. Well, that's all the time we have for tonight. He's Rabbi Kalman Warch. And my chavrus Rabbi Avram Kibbalevich. And Kalman, your bark is always worse than your bite. And I know you're not ready to roll over and play dead, but there's certain points I think I've got to hammer down. I think I am ready to fly the coop. The Chavrusa features Rabbi Avram Kivalevich and Rabbi Kalman Warch and is directed by Jeff Osias.